I mean, the best in all the marketing on the planet. If you have a- so the big question is, what are top agents doing to absolutely crush it in real estate? To get the answers, we interview the top real estate agents to learn their secrets to success. If you would like one-on-one access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com slash partner, or you can just click the link in the description below. My name is Andrew Dunn. And my name is Peter Michael. Welcome to Elite Agent Secrets. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Elite Agent Secrets. Today, I'm joined by Daryl Jones. Now, Daryl has been in the business for over 33 years. Now, if that wasn't impressive enough, hopefully the 100 transactions at least per year is as much as I thought it was, because that tells you a lot. Because when we dive into topics of pricing, marketing, and negotiations today, we're going to uncover all of Daryl's secrets on how to have a consistent and predictable business. So Daryl, welcome to the show. Peter, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I I think so too. But before we jump into all of our great topics today, give us a little bit of background. How did you get here and how did you get started 33 years ago? Because you, my friend, have seen real estate evolve over the last three decades. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. I, I My mom was a real estate agent. She became an agent in the late 70s. And so, uh, you know, hit 1989 or so. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give this thing a stab real estate. And I got my license and started selling in 1990. And so I partnered up with my mom. My mom's JJ. I'm Daryl. So we kind of have a team called Daryl and JJ Jones. And uh, she's now actually retired, but we still or Daryl and JJ, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I started. That's amazing. So you are second or second generation. Yeah. Second generation. I have my, uh, my, uh, one of my daughters works for me too. Um, but I'm not sure if she, you know, how, if she's going to proceed with the business or not, but, uh, yeah, I'm second generation. I guess Do you remember, I know this, this is probably asking for a very long time ago. Do you remember what your first, your second, your third year looked like? Say that again. My what? Do you remember what your first, your second, your and your third year looked like as far as like number oh. of volume transactions and the business that you've done? I, yeah, I don't have the exact numbers, but it was nothing. It was nothing to write home about. I know that. I um, I maybe probably sold one house my first three or four months, and um, it just gradually grew. Every year I've grown, so that that was always the goal. Um, but I don't remember. There's nothing <laughs> nowhere like it's at now. I mean, I look at I look at sometimes what the, the you know selling that many ho- houses. And I remember back then when I started seeing some people that were doing a lot of business, and I thought, how the heck do they do it? Goodness gracious! I mean, it, it's hard enough just to get one transaction, and they're doing all these transactions. But no, I don't unfortunately have specific numbers for you. But it's nowhere near it's, where, where it's at now. That's for sure. So what was the biggest epiphany that you had when you basically took you those few months to get your first deal and then thinking of how do people do this many deals to now being one of those people that do so many deals? I mean, 100 plus per year, that's a hell of a business um, really to have. I mean, I'm trying to get to 100 100, uh, transactions per year, you know, 100 families assisted. Right. Right. Well, I guess just um, I read a lot of books. Marketing books, um, 
just uh, always staying informed and then just making sure you pay attention, learning. And what I mean by that is, for example, when I first started, I was working primarily with buyers because that was such an easy sale. You know, hey, what do you want? Three bedroom pool homes in these three cities? Okay, let me pull all of them up. I'll come pick you up. I'll make appointments and take it all of them. So I, I primarily work with buyers. So that kind of got my feet on the ground. And, and after working with buyers, I'd always ask, Oftentimes when I was showing a house, for example, I'd ask the seller, hey, so what um, what caused you to choose your agent that you chose? Mm-hmm. And I oftentimes heard, well, signs. I, I just they sold one down the street. They sold this. Typically, it was the, that was the case. So I thought, OK, obviously, then I got to start kind of gearing this towards listings as well. And we started I started farming diligently a, a track and trying to get my sign up, if that makes makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so, that's. That's great. See, and at some point, did you bring somebody in to help you with the number of transactions that you're doing now too? Oh yeah, that's uh, that would be the best advice anybody can get or, or give is get an assistant without a doubt. I think the key, one of the keys to and to back to your question of of doing increasing your transactions, you got to get help. I mean, you you. you you don't double your business with one one assistant. You triple it, and then you get another assistant, and you can quadruple it. And so I, I would just, um, yeah, you get. I got definitely got help, and I try. I I went through and deciphered. Okay, what are the activities that I really need to be involved in, and what activities do I not need to be involved in? And I would also, I got some coaching as well, and would just talk to a lot of successful agents and find out what they're doing. And then I just started uh, really leveraging my time and and got an assistant to do, for example, home inspections. That was always a pet peeve of mine because it could be, I don't know, not the most enjoyable thing in the world. And all the paperwork, a transaction coordinator. Um, so, and, and some people may think, well, I can't afford an assistant. Maybe just have a transaction coordinator. I think that's a per transaction uh, situation that you don't have to come up with necessarily a commitment or money uh, up front. But I'm sorry, does that answer your question? It does. I actually okay. want to be a little bit selfish and dive a little bit deeper into that because I typically do about 50, 60. I think this year I'll do more like 65, 70 units and I don't have an assistant. I just have a TC. And one of the things that I've been battling with is figuring out what I have the assistant actually do, because I do have some virtual talent and and, and some help from from that retrospect. So what are some of those things when you say hire an assistant, they should double or triple your business to do the things like I don't go to my home inspections at the moment. Should I? Arguably, Uh I guess. maybe. I I haven't been to a home inspection in years. You know, so I'm the, I'm the same way. Like I don't go to my home inspections. I don't go to my appraisals unless I'm on the listing side. Then I obviously I have to meet the appraisal and give the comps and schmooze them to make sure we get the appropriate price that we are have under contract, you know, the property on the contract for. But uh, that's, that's, I guess, one of my things that I've been able to kind of get away with. So should I be getting an assistant? Like if, if this is how my business is set up? Absolutely. Ironically that you mentioned, you mentioned, it's ironic that you mentioned the appraisal because that's one of the things I did give to an assistant to do. And I thought the same thing. I thought, nah, at first I didn't because I thought appraisals, that's a big deal. We got to, we got to get the proper comps, et cetera. But then I, I, there was a few I couldn't make and I just emailed my assistant the comps and she met in there and those appointments, those appraisals were challenging and they came in and I thought, okay, wait a minute. Maybe I don't need to do this. So I maybe I should just give you kind of a procedure in terms of what I do when I, let's say, get a listing. So I get a listing. Let's hey, we'll say take it as a bonus topic. Why not? 
Okay, okay. I get a little, well, this because this will also talk about what the assistant does and what you do. Perfect. That Please. makes sense. So I'll get a listing. What I'll do right when I am in the driveway or right when I'm in the street, I text my stager and my listing coordinator. Say, okay, we got a new one at one, two, three Elm Street here and wherever. And um, uh, the goal is to have it on and within 10 days. So Billy stager, my stager, I ask her to contact the client. I tell the client, oh no, another big part of this is also just um, preparing your client for what's about to happen. So you need to let them know when you leave there after they agree to hire you. Say, okay, now next steps are my stager. And my uh, listing coordinator are going to be getting a hold of you to arrange visits for the staging. I've already explained staging to them. And so they take it over from there. And then um, my listing coordinator, I'll start typically probably a four-way text with a client, my stager, my listing coordinator, myself. So I'm always involved. It's not as though I'm not completely involved. I'm always there. I'm always there. I know what's going on via the text. And at first, I check and make sure they're okay with texting. And typically, 99 times out of 100, they are. So, um, and then the, my listing corner takes care of the write-up She and she's great at it. This is not something that, you know, it's, it's, it's getting worse because someone else is doing it. It's, she's fantastic at it. So she'll go over there, take down all the copious notes and she, she does the write-up. She schedules then the, the stager. She confirms with the stager that, okay, it's going to be staged on Thursday. When can we photograph? By two o'clock, great. Sets up the photography. I don't do any of that. She does that. She sets up the photography, gets the photography back. She'll input it into the MLS after previewing it. Um, she makes the flyers. She they handle the lockbox, getting the keys, getting that ordered and sign up, scheduling the open house. I do still do open houses. I, I like open houses. They've been a very good source of uh, business for me. Um, so does that kind of give you a little bit of a flavor what the 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 assistant does or Absolutely. your new assistant that you're about to hire next month will be doing? Absolutely. All right. Good. So yeah, that's that's and, and oh, and then I'll, I'll take it further, real quick. So mm -hmm. then we go in the market. I handle all the negotiations. I think that's probably something that can't be handed off because I would agree. of doing this for so long. Uh, I'm I I feel as though I'm a, a pretty good negotiator in terms of just timing and knowing what to say and how to respond and when to respond and those types of things. So I handle all the negotiations, but once I handle, let's say we spend a week handling negotiations or two days or five days or whatever, going back and forth. And then I'll hand it over to my listing coordinator and she takes it over from there. She opens the escrow, orders the uh, inspection or, you know, coordinates the inspections and all that fun stuff. Let's see. You have a system and a process, which I really like because I'm very systematic and process driven as well. This is probably why I can do as many units as I do. It's not because I'm lucky. It's because I am so meticulous with how my process is already that it doesn't take me any mental bandwidth and capacity to figure out what I have to do next. Right? Yeah. Systems are everything. Yeah. That's a smart move. So, I, I, so, so that's why I think you're... You can either create systems with people or with technology. I have a tendency to create them with technology first, and then I'm very slow to put people in it. Also, partially because I'm a control freak. Uh, <laughs> so it's not by choice. It's because I like something that's dependable, repeatable, and something that I know it is going to be consistent, which you know we'll talk about pricing and, and marketing and negotiations. I'm very methodical about how I do things, but pricing is our first topic. Hey, I just wanted to jump in here and let you know, if you would like access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com slash partner, or you can just click the link in the description below.
Now back to the show. Are we talking about pricing properties or what are what are we talking about? We're talking about pricing. Well, about pricing. So it's funny. I I, I tell you, the best marketing on the planet um, is almost moot if you don't have a price drive. I mean, so the point is, is you need to know your market. Uh, and and, you, and oftentimes you can only do that with uh, by just you got to get out and look at properties. Um, luckily, I sell enough to where I see a lot of properties uh, well enough. But um, knowing your market is so important. I mean, that sounds obvious, but uh, it's funny. I used to not be my first few years. I went previewed a lot of houses. and I thought oh, this is a waste of time. And then I got back to previewing houses just because you got to learn your market. I mean, you know, nobody ever really knows exactly what a home will sell for. Redfin will have its estimate. Zillow will have its estimate. But no, nobody knows. It's we don't know. But um, and Zillow and Redfin, they're rarely correct. In fact, never correct exactly. But in any event, know your market. So you got to know what. The, if you can go in there and have a really good idea of the ballpark, what that home would sell for and or needs to be priced at in order to generate offers. Um, and, and that's easier said than done. You got to go do your homework and you've got to be out there and be, be uh, knowledgeable, look at properties and stuff. But by knowing your market, you know, OK, look, that house will probably sell, let's say, in the mid nines or the lower nine hundred thousand. Then what I would, if I thought that, I would encourage the uh, my client to price it probably to eight ninety nine, a little bit under what you kind of think it would sell for, and letting them know that the goal is that first of all, we're we're not. I mean, we can't determine the exact price. It's it's whatever the market, the the mar- the house is worth whatever a willing and able buyer is going to pay for it. But what this does, it gets it introduced to a larger audience of buyers, and we 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 put it out in the market, set it up to where it's it's going to outshine its competition, which is the goal. That's I mean that's why we stage it, etc. So point being is when you're priced properly, and you go out there and you look at this house that's probably going to sell in the nines, and it's priced at eight ninety nine, and everybody else that's out there at eight ninety nine is probably a house that's worth eight fifty. It just yeah. really sparkles. It really sparkles, and that listing typically generates, depending on the market, everything, but generates some some offers. And then when you get offers, people to com- buyers to compete, then you're guaranteeing the seller that you'll you'll get the highest price the market will compel. You know yeah, you know it's crazy. You can never underprice a property. Yeah, the only time it's funny because I have to I have to kind of guide my sellers through this because I understand it. I get it. Everybody. All sellers, is, you don't have to sell, ask sellers what they want. They want as much money as possible. So, I mean, I, I let them know that, look, just by agreeing to put it on the market, let's say at $8.99. For starters, we don't know for sure it's going to sell the nines, but that's what a professional, but we kind of think. But you're not locked into that price. And, and that's something that you, I have to oftentimes educate sell, sellers because you're not, when you list a property, at least here, you're not, you're not, the seller doesn't have to sell it. So even if they get the only time they have to sell is once they accept an offer. Does that does that make sense? Exactly. Oh, oh, well, I was going to touch on your point of you you um you can never under under price a home. I agree with you hundred uh, percent. As long as you give it time and let buyers come in here. And the reason I'm saying that is because oftentimes, I mean, I've had this, especially the last few years that we've had in this market where it's been super hot in 20, 2020, 2021, 2022, even. Um, and, you know, uh, a lot of agents would be getting 10, 20, 30 offers on their listing. And, 
And I feel, and that's part of what I wanted to talk about too. And I don't know if we can jump into that now. I'll, I'll say this and we'll review it again if we need to. But um, as long as you respond to every buyer, that's a little pet peeve of mine, uh, number one. Number two, it's in your seller's best interest. Because frankly, you get 25 offers. You don't know who the best, the highest paying buyer is going to be after all the negotiations are done. It literally is impossible. So another thing that we do, we counter every single offer we get. And I know back in 2020, 21, 22, 20, even now, sometimes, you know, the the seller's agent has an, a system where they say, no, we're just going to um, counter the, the top three offers. And I, I get it. I get it. This is a lot of work and everything, but I don't know. I'm a big believer in countering all the offers only because I've seen so many times the eighth best initial offer after all the negotiations were done yes. ends up being the best buyer. So, I mean, if, you know, we had the philosophy of just counting the best three, um, you could e easily keep uh, lose some of your seller's money, leave it on the table, um, and then not guaranteeing that the seller does get top dollar even when you do price it low, because that's the fear is you sell it, you know, obviously too low. Does that make sense? I, I, yeah, I think pricing low has to come with a strategy that basically allows you to create enough buzz to have the rocket ship to go up. Because if you just price it low, and like, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I priced the property that I had it appraised at 800. We priced it at seven, knowing we weren't going to get 800 because 800 was back when market was really good, right? So we were probably like six months late to the party um, because the work wasn't finished on the property itself. So I said, okay, well, we can either price it in line with the market and we're going to create enough buzz where we have an open house. We may get two or three offers and call it a day, pick one, and we're probably going to be close to where we need to be. Or we can price it just a little bit of where everything else is in the neighborhood, even though we have a higher grade and quality product dump a little bit of money into marketing, which we'll talk about in just a second in topic number two, and then position the property as the best value while being the best product for what we're going to get. And we had 120 plus people, in the, like individual parties come through over two days. We had allowed no showings throughout the week. We pushed everybody into the open house, which created a buzz. I had four or five agents there with me at the same time. We had a line out the door. We were only letting in a few people in at a time. So, you know, that created that whole, oh my God, what's going on over there type of mentality where we had a bunch of cars line up and 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 be basically all the way out the neighborhood. So then more people got curious and we created this frenzy with the pricing strategy in order to then get over 20 plus offers on the listing. Not because it was severely overpriced, but it was a combination of these different components. And then we drove the price up to about 795. We ended up closing the property, I think at 775, if I remember correctly. And we were happy taking seven fifty. Yeah, no, that's a brilliant. That's that's a that's a great strategy. It's funny. I oftentimes will, sellers will say, "Hey, two two agents want to show at the same time. You know, I have to I have to postpone one of them." I said, "No, no, let them both be there because you're absolutely correct that it's great to have buyers see other buyers there, so they know that there's some interest in that property. It's very compelling." Yeah, it's that fear of missing out, right? Yeah. Or when you go to a restaurant and they tell you, oh, it's 
45 minutes wait and all of a sudden you get a table in 10 or 15 minutes because one just so happened to open up, right? right. It's, it's the same thing. So I really like what you're talking about, the pricing. Um, when it comes to actually figuring out and finding pricing, do you find some methods work better than others? Do you just go off of comps? Do you have do you leverage some of your market knowledge? Like if yeah. I'm a brand new agent, how much emphasis am I putting on that per se? All of the above, all, all that you said. So for one of the things, for example, that I'll keep diligent track of is the inventory. So in my marketplace, I look at inventory. People are always asking, hey, how's the market? How's the market? Inventory reveals almost everything because in other words, inventory prices just don't go, start going up and down. Inventory will decrease and then prices will go up or inventory will increase and prices will soften. It's simple, you know, supply and uh, demand economics 101. So my point being is I keep an eye on the inventory. So if my, let's say the usual inventory is, oh, 40 homes in a particular city and we only have 18 homes in that particular city that are on the market, then I know it's a, a very strong seller's market. So knowing your market is is critical um, and or vice versa. Let's say there's normal 40 and, and in just the last two weeks, we've seen it jumped up to 50 homes on the market. So inventory is increasing. Well, you have to know that. And the you, only way you will know that is if you track it. If you, you you need to track it. Just check the MLS. Exactly. That takes you five seconds. How many homes in this market? I do it a few times a week. Um, so know that. You know, you got to know your competition. So you got to know what else is out there. Um, so just knowing the, 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 the cities that you work in really, really well. Yeah. Really be a specialist in those areas. And then if it's an area that you're not quite the specialist in, because COVID showed us that we could do that in terms of selling a house, let's say that in a city that's a little bit further than your 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 normal cities, you you know, you just have to go preview some homes before you go to listing appointment and, and see what the competition is. Does yeah. that answer your question? I keep it. It does. It does. It does. I, I I think I think pricing isn't a science i don't think there's no right or wrong way to price a property i think it's more of an art form i know it sounds like super cliche no, but, the I think, yeah. but the reality I, is like you can only see so much on the numbers but let, let's let's say you're dealing high-end luxury properties you probably don't have two high-end luxury properties at let's say 10 million 15 20 million that are identical or exactly the same so you can't just go off of square footage square footage can give you a rough number but what if like one property has quartz the other one has marble what if one has a fiberglass pool and travertine like you have to use your head a little bit in this and and figure out what would be like that happy medium before you crazily overprice the property oh without a doubt like i said earlier i mean the best in all the marketing the planet if you have it overpriced, it's just moot. Doesn't do you any good. It doesn't move. You don't get any showings. You don't get any offers. It's crickets. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you would like one-on-one access to over 26 of the top agents in the country to help you scale your business, then head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com partner, or you can just click the link in the description below.